Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. I'm so excited for this installment of Wheels Off. Maggie Smith is more than a poet, but... Her poetry is probably the thing for which you know her. Her poem, Good Bones, that took over the world in 2016. If you haven't read it, please just pause this right now. Google it. Find it. Live it. Love it. It's so beautiful. It's such a distillation of the human experience. Her poem, Good Bones rocketed her to the kind of stardom that most poets never experience. She just recently put out a new book that is not exactly poetry. It's a book called Keep Moving. It's prose, essays, thoughts, notes. She jokes about it being a self-help book during the conversation you're about to hear. And without all the negative connotations of that descriptor, it is very much that. It is very helpful. It is very beautiful. It's She's just a great person. <laughs> she's just She's just um she's so cool. I'm so grateful that I got to have this conversation with Maggie Smith for Wheels Off. Welcome to Wheels Off, Maggie Smith. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is so great. Um, so for the edification of our listeners, where are you? In, you're in a beautiful office right now in Ohio? Yeah, I'm in um, Bexley, Ohio, which is just a little suburb of Columbus, right in the smack in the middle of the state. Boy, I love Columbus. That's It's like the Austin of Ohio. It is. Oh, thank you. I'm going to take that as a compliment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. Well, congratulations on Keep Moving. I love it. Oh, thank you. It's, you've got to be so proud. I mean, it's 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 an accomplishment because it's I, you stepped out of your comfort zone, right? This is new. Yeah, I have only um, published books of poems to this point. And so this is my 
fourth book, but it's my first book of essays. Um, so yeah, trying something new formally and sort of getting really naked emotionally <laughs> in this book. Um, so yeah, no, but it's been, it's been a really good, it's been a good experience sort of shepherding it out into the world. Um, so I don't know how different putting, I mean, I guess I put out a book of kids' poems, but I didn't do much is, uh, other than going to in schools, which is super cute, by the way. Um, other people's kids, don't don't listen to anybody that tells you they're terrible. They're actually pretty great. I uh, agree. I did, I did some poetry <laughs> in the schools, too, with other people's kids, and they were so much more um, compliant and thought I was so much wiser than my own children do. So I'm all about that. Did you get any of those questions that you couldn't believe that they were asking you that question? Like, how much money do you make? <laughs> No one asked me that. I think they just assumed if I was like free on a Tuesday at like one twenty, probably I'm not making any money at all, um, which is fair enough. No, they were just geniuses, like little geniuses. And it made me realize like all kids are poets and somehow they get it scrubbed out of them over time. If And if we're not careful, we, we let that happen. So I, I'm trying to really protect that in my own kids as much as I can. So in the midst of releasing a book um, and doing the requisite publicity behind it, um, are you still working creatively? And if so, what project are you working on and how does it light you up? Oh, well, I'm working on lots of different things because um, when I'm anxious, I work. <laughs> so it's a good time for that. Um, so I'm working on another book of poems I'm in edits on another book of essays, and I just finished um, a picture book. So, yeah, I'm sort of, I've got, like, lots of tentacles into lots of different things right now. Like a kid's picture book. Yeah, like a, you know, ages four to eight nice. picture book. Yeah, I don't know. Do you, we'll how do, do you and you've got a visual artist or are you no no i'm just i'm just i've written the words and uh then we see what happens next oh okay cool yeah Boy, that, that's super exciting oh and then but so wait writing a book of poems is that something you do or do you just write poems and then eventually just squish them together Yep, that's that's pretty much what happens. You just pretty much what I've done is printed out everything that I have in my computer since my last book of poems, Good Bones, was published, and and then the sort of magic happens where you look at. I mean, I've got hundreds of poems since you know that book came out in 2017 because I stopped writing it in like 2016. So I've got four years of work that, you know, it's just sitting in my computer waiting to see what shape it might take. And so I'm doing the winnowing now where I see kind of what's in conversation with other things and what sort of feels like it's jiving and what feels like maybe it needs to be set aside for the next, next thing. Um, but yeah, I never know what I'm doing until I've done it. And that's the fun is seeing everything in one place and being like, oh, this is what I've been obsessing over and just didn't know because I have been so close to it, I haven't been able to stand back and see the shape of the thing until until now. 
Boy, it's it's funny. The I feel like there's so much similarity between what you do with poetry and what I do with songs. Like it's like you just kind of make it, and then you figure out later if it's good, if it can go on a thing. Do you have trusted confidant editors inside the circle, people that you're gonna let help you cull these poems? Yeah. So I sent um, I sent pretty much every poem I write to one person, um, and I've been doing that for twenty years. She was like the person I hit it off with the first week of graduate school 20 years ago. And so she sends me poems when she finishes them. I send her poems. And then when we are working on book manuscripts, we send them back and forth. Her name's Katie Pierce, Catherine Pierce, and she's amazing. And so I, I do that. And then I have a couple of other people that I send manuscripts to who I know um, will be less, um, I don't want to say less kind, but a little tougher on me than Katie is because she's my friend. Yeah. So I think she it's she's a cheerleader in addition to being someone who gives me feedback. And so I have some people that I send work to because I want them to call me out when I'm getting lazy about things um, or falling into uh, a particular kind of trap in in a kind of poem or whatever. And so so yeah, I I need that because otherwise it's just an echo chamber. <laughs> <laughs> But I think you're right. I think early in the process, it would be um, counterproductive to have someone who was overly critical, probably. Like a Katie is a good first round, probably. Totally. Totally. Yeah. We all need a Katie. And people ask, you know, at Q&As or whatever, like, what what can I do as a, as a writer? And one of my responses, which I realize is a little facetious, is find yourself a Katie Pierce. <laughs> and it's just like, find your ideal reader, find someone who will, who is invested in your success and likes you and, and will, um, you know, be there at two in the morning when you, when you send a sonnet that you're not sure is really working. <laughs> yeah. My, mine is Robert. My, my old best friend, Robert is my, somebody that and you can trust their taste implicitly and yep. they know, they know the best version of you and they'll, oh, that's sweet. And not I just a cheerleader. That. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really, well, I love that. And you know, something else, um, when I hear you talk about writing indiscriminately, like not specifically for a thing necessarily, um, I one thing that comes up in these conversations that I've been recording these for almost two years now, um, it's it's as if when you are working on something and you um, what's the word I always uh, when you um, when you calculate the what it is that you're trying to make or what it's for or who you're trying to affect or who should buy it like boy as soon as commerce enters the picture I feel like anytime too much calculation. It's it kills the the art, maybe, right? Oh, I agree. I mean, I think even thinking about audience is an art killer. If you know, if I think too hard about where the thing is going when it leaves my hands, um, I'll second guess it so much that I probably won't let it leave my hands. You know, yeah. and it it's like, you know, especially if you know, I think about a poem like Good Bones and how many people have read that poem, and if I had known how many people would read that poem, I never would have finished it because it never would have been ready for that many eyeballs. Yeah. You know, it's just, you don't know with a song or a poem or a film, you just don't know how many people might access it. And I think it's better not to think about that. <laughs> Boy, it's funny. Um, that's another thing that seems like it comes up a lot. It's like the things we do to trick ourselves, you know, um, in, in a way it's like you, 
uh, Kevin Morby is a musician that that I think is really great. I interviewed yeah. him just a few days ago, and we were talking about the first times he would walk out on stage in front of large audiences and how you sort of have to move past that 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 thing where you're like who I, I'm not good. I don't deserve this. What is this? You know, <laughs> or, or or what if I screw up and then the whole band has to stop and everybody's look, you know, and so you trick yourself. But that's it's it's something I usually get to later in these conversations. But how do you because what you do seems so solitary, um, although maybe after Good Bones, you've been thrust way more into like a public sort of spotlight. But you get past that like those internally generated obstacles the um what's the not survivor's guilt the uh imposter syndrome (laughs) i like the idea that those two could live (laughs) they could coexist survivor's guilt and imposter syndrome yeah i mean imposter syndrome is real i think there you know one of the things that i'm always telling students and mentees is it's not something you really grow out of like i it's not like uh, I remember thinking, like, once I publish a book, I'll feel like a real writer. Oh, well, no, no, I don't. Well, maybe two books, I'll feel like a real writer. Or maybe when I mostly pay my bills with this, then I'll feel like a real writer. I'm still kind of waiting. I mean, it's, you know, c- because it's a moving target. We're always sort of focusing on, like, what's the next thing? And, and what I try to do mostly is, like, look at the way look at my writing life now through the eyes of 18 year old me and 18 year old me is blown away in a way that 43 year old me, I'm just going through my day. I'm not really thinking about it in a really conscious way, but if I let myself think about it as the person who was writing poems and like putting them in a manila folder in my locker and giving the combination out to a few trusted friends and letting them check it out like a little library because that's how shy I was. Like I couldn't be there when you were reading something I wrote, but I could like let you do it surreptitiously. Like that kid can't believe the stuff that I've gotten to do in the places that my writing has, has taken me. And so I try to just bring that sense of wonder to it when I start to feel, you know, crammed in with deadlines or, or cranky about, about something like what right do I have to be cranky? I'm doing what I wanted to do 30 years ago and didn't think I would be able to do 30 years ago. So, um, yeah. And I honestly, I just try not to think much like, you know, especially after Good Bones, I realized if I was going to keep writing for me, I was going to have to pretend that never happened. Because if I let, if I thought about it too much, then I'd be thinking like, well, what did the people who liked that poem, what do they want? What do they expect me to do next? And, and that's a trap because people don't want you to do the same thing over and over again, but they also don't want you to change. So you can't win. Like either you're stuck doing the same thing over and over again because somehow people want you to do that or you're changing and people aren't happy that you're going outside of the box that they like. And so I I just have to not think about it as much as I can just write to satisfy my own creative impulse and have that conversation with myself on paper and hope that somebody will 
get it and like it, even if those aren't the same people that have gotten it and liked it in the past. But you have, such, I mean, it's such an interesting, and I don't know if it's truly singular, but to me as an outsider, non-poetry world person, it seems really singular. This um, You had a hit song. Like, you know, it was <laughs> yeah. just such a massive worldwide hit, the equivalent of like a hit song. And, um, and it's, boy, I've talked to, I've talked to friends who have had those. I've never had the, the burden of one of those, but, um, but it, I wonder like with keep moving, the impression I get is that it was more that you gave yourself permission to do this thing that was different rather than that you calculated that you're, oh, I'm going to do something different. Oh, it was like the least calculated thing ever because I didn't know I was writing a book. I mean, I was just posting these little notes to self every day just to basically give myself enough positive energy to shower and pack a lunch for, for my kids. And the only reason it's a book is because people started saying, these should be a book. I wish I had these collected somewhere. And that's not how books of poems happen. Like no one comes knocking down your door and begging for poetry. You know, it's it's one of the best things about poetry is that it exists almost entirely outside of capitalism and there is and so much supply and so little demand and that is very freeing. Um so yeah, this this project wasn't really a project at all. It just sort of got cobbled together in a kind of organic way that was really sort of like audience driven in a strange way. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause I was like, I called my mom and I was like, I think I'm writing a self-help book. <laughs> <laughs> and which is, I mean, like not something I thought I would do ever. Um, it's not something that I'd planned. And then I realized like it's self-help because it's literally helping me, um, to write it. And so wh whatever happens with this project after, it leaves me is just bonus because the book kind of saved my life. So if it touches anybody, if like one sentence out of this book means something to anybody other than me, it's like more work than it needs to do. I wonder if the person most qualified to write a self-help book is the person who doesn't want to write a self-help book. <laughs> that the creepiest yeah. people in the world, the Tony Robbins, or they're like, I'm convinced that I know the answer, those people. Yeah, I have no answers. I mean, I, I, I really, like, <laughs> someone was saying, like, I think what I like about your advice is that you're not delivering it from on high. And I was like, I'm not even delivering it to you. I'm, like, talking to myself at the bottom of a well. Like, that's that's how this book was written. And and maybe that's that's why people are are, are sort of, gravitating toward it because it's like authentic in in the sense that the person writing it wasn't putting themselves in a position of being some sort of wise oracle i was just trying to get through like the next three hours <laughs> i love that um and I, I'm, I think that's part of what makes it so it just it's so real and it's so useful. I saw recently, just today, somebody posted that during all of this election, you and I are taping this on hopefully the last day we don't know the results of the election. Um, it won't air for a couple of weeks, so everybody else does. But so Fox News ran for, was it Tony Robbins? It was someone Tony Robbins-ish. But they had made a little, <laughs> a cube 
And it, um, you pushed a button and it would tell you like a piece of wisdom. And it was, of course, like ninety nine ninety nine for this electronic cube. But wait, like it's like a magic eight ball sort of? Exactly like that. Yes. <laughs> My kids have a magic eight ball and they're always consulting it. And then when they don't <laughs> like the answer, they just shake it again. <laughs> well, sure. So it seems like you don't really need to spend $100 to like second guess yourself. I mean, I do that every day for free. (laughs) So the visual that you created earlier of, you know, like a 13 year old you with a locker and the key. And by the way, I love the the spy aspect of all of that, like sharing (laughs) the key and like you have to go by yourself. And um, so I wonder, because I think I think I was a lot like you. Poetry came before music for me. And in a lot of ways, to me, music is just like a uh, camouflage, you know, like I can, I can get away with really doing poetry if I just sing it and also dance. Um, I love that. I love that. And here, here I am, like, if I could just do what you do, (laughs) my life would be so much cooler. We're both doing okay. Okay. We're doing fine. Um, so, but going back to those earliest days, do you remember, um, was there a moment when you realized, like, I'm going to be a writer or a poet? Or was there an epiphany moment or did it creep up on you? No, I don't think so. You know, I was thinking recently, I was a creative writing major in college, not because I thought it was like a career path, but because it was the only thing I was any good at and enjoyed. And I, I think my my majors and minor were creative writing, philosophy, and women's studies. So by really, by all accounts, I should be living in my parents' basement even now. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I really didn't have any sense of, of, I didn't even know what it was going to be like to be a writer. Like, how did one do that? You know, my dad worked for the phone company. I didn't really have a model for what you could do if you wanted to be a writer. Like, I, I thought, well, people could teachers and also be writers or you know did I have to be a college professor to be a writer I mean I really didn't know what it would look like I just knew it was the only thing that I was any good at and it honestly is still the only thing I'm any good at and I don't know if that's like a talent thing or like it's the only thing I ever invested myself in and therefore worked at and maybe if I tried harder at cooking or math I would be doing something different now. I wonder a lot about uh, safety nets and um, like the the alternative lives that we could lead. Have we given ourselves um, like had I stayed in college and gotten a degree and then I could have gotten a job job? Um, have you held other jobs? Have you have you ever taught or anything? Yeah. I mean, I teach now, but I teach Uh in a low res MFA program, which means I just, I'm at my house and they email me poems and I mark them up and email them back. Um, so it's a graduate model where people don't have to move to the city where the university is. So I teach for a university called Spalding that's in Louisville, but I do it from my house in Columbus. Um, I did work in publishing for, Oh, I don't know, six years after after I got my MFA. Um, and then when I got a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, I had a two-year-old at the time. And I just thought, you know, I'm dropping her off at daycare every day. I'm sitting at this job, looking at the clock. I can't wait to see my kid. What, why don't I just freelance and I'll just put this money in the bank 
And if I fail, I will spend that money and live off of it while I figure out the next step, like the next job. And that was in 2011. And I've been self-employed writing um, since then. So it's been nine years that I've just been in this house um, just writing and doing occasional teaching. And I travel a lot or did in the before times, yeah. um, to, you know, to teach like a week-long workshop or give a keynote or, or whatever. So it's a very cobbled together kind of life um, with no safety nets or health insurance or... <sighs> I mean, yeah, where it's, 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 uh, this year in particular, it's like the best year to be self-employed and the absolute worst year to be someone who makes money. Well, you know, by traveling and, you know, performing, giving readings, like whatever it's, uh, it's been a, a really challenging time, but I don't regret it because I know this year is temporary and, um, I like my life the way it is, even though it's, a little up in the air sometimes. Boy, it's and I, um, I've a couple. I've dear. I've been doing show my shows online, and I've since I got keep moving. I've read a few times. I've just read a little snippet to the because I've noticed that a lot of people come back to my shows as just a thing to do to keep yourself grounded and have some sense of normalcy, and it's become like almost. Like it's certainly therapy for me, but I, I hear from them that it is for them as well. And so, um, I read last night uh, a, an entry that was about silver linings, and it's something that I, I just I come back to that all the time. Every time I start to feel despair, you know, um, like I think about I've got two teenage kids. Do you think that I would see them? I'd be gone seventy five percent of the time, and when I'm home, they'd be home for like an hour a day tops. And as it is the bonding that I've done with them in the last nine months has been just incredible. Same. I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I can't even go into my kid's school anymore because of, uh, you know, they don't have open door policies because of school shootings. So with mm. my kids, I can't even go into my, my, you know, second graders classroom and see his cubby and his art on the wall or, or any of that stuff. We just have to take them to the door. And so having them here learning, a few days a week when they're not at their dad's house means I actually get to hear them. Like I get to see them on zoom, like raise their hands and, and answer questions. And I get to see them doing independent reading and I get to, he finishes a little story and he shows it to me with the illustrations. And so, yeah, it's stressful. And I'm trying to work my professional obligations around being, you know, a second grade teacher's aide. But on the other hand, I'm getting a window in on, his life that I wouldn't have. And I, I'm, that's a silver lining for sure. Just this extra, this extra time. Yeah. I mean, and you, you're, you're releasing a book that in, in a perfect world, you would be out hitting it so hard right now, traveling and traveling. And, and um, I'm sorry that you don't get to go out there and, and work it, but in a way you've been doing great stuff from that exact spot where you're sitting right now. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about that. Like it is, it's a bummer not to be able to, to do the thing where you're in a room with people in a bookstore with books and you get to sign the book and hand it to the person and maybe hug them because we used to be able to do that. And that, that sense of community, um, I, I'm, I'm sad about that. But on the other hand, yeah, I would be gone a lot right now. And it's a tough year for my kids because of the pandemic and, 
And so, you know, on the bright side, instead of being on an airplane for like the entire month of, of October and most of November, I get to be here in my house and I can just bribe them with snacks to stay away when I'm doing like a live <laughs> interview or, 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 you know, reading or whatever. And, um, and on the, on the other, you know, on the other hand, they get to see what I do, which normally I disappear and they don't really get to see what I do. So they're, they're getting a little window in on, on my life and, and I'm getting a window in on theirs. Yeah, it's. I mean, same with mine. I'm, uh, my kids are watching every show, you know. Whereas before, it was always it was the thing that took me away from them. So it was yeah. the in, enemy in some ways. And and I'm I'm getting a lot of feedback from them that how proud they are, and it's it's really sweet. I'm sure oh, your kids are that. so proud of you too. That's really great. Well, well <laughs> I I know, right? <laughs> um, so. The, these kids of ours, obviously, we're we're modeling and we're teaching and we're doing all these things as best we can do while living our own lives. But if you were to encounter the, this is the age-old interviewer's question, the 21-year-old version of Maggie Smith working in today's world, um, what advice might you give yourself? Oh, that's a good question. I guess I would say... Um, not to worry about tying your your artistic life so much in with what you do for a living because i think that's what causes a lot of people anxiety is they don't know they can't envision what a life looks like where they are doing what they love and they think it there's only one way to do it and i mean frankly i know real estate agents who are writers and i know doctors who are writers and um cashiers who are writers and so and, you know, stay-at-home moms who are writers. So I, I think one of the things I would, I would tell 21-year-old me is, like, you can do it, and it might not look the way that you think. It may not look the way that you may not be wearing a tweed jacket, you know? Like, it may not be what you think, and that's okay. Like, it, it's possible to make it work. It's just about committing committing to it and also just don't be afraid to to take a risk because what's the worst that could happen if you try to do something that you love and it doesn't work out what's the worst that could happen you have to get a real job you know you and like everybody I mean everybody else has to do it so why you know it's not actually a worst case scenario for most people to get a real job. Most people are excited to go get a job. Um, so it just seems like, you know, maybe, maybe just like lowering the stakes a little bit and realizing that you can do it on your own time. And that if you don't have a book by the time you're 25, doesn't mean you're never going to do it. Um, and that you don't have to put off things in your personal life necessarily to make, to make a life as a writer that you can actually, you know, even go on book tour if you have kids. Like all of this stuff is possible. We just make it up as we go. I love that. So you're advocating against fear and for self-love. All these things that are in Keep Moving. <laughs> I think I am advocating for those things. I love that. Um, before I let you go, I, I did want to tell you that um, you you have come up on this show before I, I had interviewed John Darniel from Mountain Goats, 
which is such a great band, but I had never yeah. met I, I'd never met him before. And I'd been recording episodes of Wheels Off and they'd all been with people that I had, you know, previously known and been friends with to whatever degree. But John was somebody that I'd always known about and respected. But I I figured because he was so great and brilliant and cool and and hip that he would <laughs> He, that he wouldn't like me or he would look down his nose at me or whatever, those things that we tell ourselves, right? And so I went into this interview really terrified and feeling you know, low self-esteem. And, and of course, he wound up being so sweet and smart and open and generous. And, um, and it was really like, it was already like this really disarming, um, beautiful half hour of conversation with with you know someone that became a new friend and at the end of it he asked me if I was familiar with good bones uh-huh. and um uh, and I knew it I knew it from the world um but then he proceeded to read it to me and I cried Maggie I just cried and cried in the middle of interviewing John Darnell for Mountain Goats <laughs> and it was like oh so your hit song is way better than semi-charmed kind of life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can can I put that book blurb on my next book? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for everything you do. You're really living such a life of the mind and from the heart, and I I, I appreciate everything that you do you're modeling not just for your kids but for the world like a life well lived the examined life and thank you for examining it here with me on wheels off thank you so much for having me i'm such a fan and this was a real treat ah you're so cool thank you all right thank you so much for listening to wheels off please be sure to rate and review the show on itunes That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, 
dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe Grind podcast. <laughs>